Well, welcome. I am so glad that you are here today, and I am so sorry that I am not. But after two years of maintaining distance, staying masked, and avoiding COVID, it has finally come to our household. So my oldest son tested positive, and so we are kind of just avoiding everybody to make sure we're not spreading it. We're all doing well, and so we thank you for your prayers but we're most thankful this morning for the technology that allows us to do this and still be here with you. And so uh, we just want to say welcome, glad you're here, and we can't wait to be back with you next week. So as you think about your life, who is in your life who is for you? Someone who's on your team, someone who's always encouraging you, someone who prays for you, someone who always believes you're capable of doing whatever is in front of you, even when you don't believe that about yourself. Somebody who's always going to love you, someone who's always going to forgive you and fight for you. Do you have a picture of that person or a name in your mind? I want to encourage you to just let that sit there for a minute. As I look back over my life, I realize I've been pretty blessed. God has been really good to me in the amount of people who have always been on my team. That team has changed from time to time, but there's never been a time when I felt like I was all alone. I had my parents. I had Rick, who I talked about last week as a small group leader. My children's pastor, Larry. My youth pastor, Wes. My football coach and another youth pastor, Jim Mike. My grandma was always praying for me my Aunt Robin. In college, I met my academic advisor who later became a mentor for me in ministry. His name was Dr. Bieberstein. I think about my first ministry role in St. Louis where I met Lockwood and he was always there walking along as I was new to marriage, new to being a dad, new to owning a pet. We have great friends, Mike and Heather, who our kids actually call Uncle Mike and Aunt Heather and I'm pretty sure they're always gonna be on our team. Now, I could go on and on and on with this list, but it gets kind of boring when you just hear names. But when I think back to Minneapolis, there was one guy there, there were several, but there's one in particular who I knew was for me. His name was Mick. Mick was an entrepreneur and a business owner, and Mick had all kinds of big dreams and visions of what he wanted to do. And because of that, he invited me to a lot of meetings that I had no place being in. I sat in rooms with people who were way smarter, way more educated, and he would look at me all the time and say, so Jason, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I agree with him because he's smarter than I am, Mick. I don't know what you want me to say. But Mick always believed and was making sure I was there. Now Mick's characteristic way of letting you know he was on your team was he would clap for you. He would just walk in the room, and you're standing there, and Mick would clap. I tried to get Corey to do this when I come home every day. She'd just clap for me when I walk through the door. Uh, you can probably imagine that hasn't gone over well. But nothing makes you feel better than when somebody sees you and they just start clapping. I don't think I've ever known that before. I never knew anybody who clapped for me before I met Mick. But life is better when we look around us and there's a team of people who are for us. Imagine what life would be like if you didn't think there was anybody on your team. Now I want to ask you to change gears for a minute this morning. And I want you to think about your relationship with Jesus. 
Do you believe that God or Jesus are on your team? What about your neighbors, your coworkers, the people you live next door to, your family members who don't know Jesus? Do they believe that he's on their team? Would they think that God is for them? Or do they think God's against them? What about the church? What about Great Oaks? If we took a poll of Germantown Hills and Metamora and Washington and East Peoria, would they say the church or Great Oaks is for them? I'd actually make the argument that over the last 50 years, the followers of Jesus have done a really good job letting everyone know what we're against. You know, if you go back 50 years, we were against card playing. We were against going to the movies. We were against dancing. Maybe more recently, we're against teen pregnancy. We're against Harry Potter. We're against abortion. We're against alcohol or the overuse of it. We're against Disney and the things they promote. We're against homosexuality. And you can make a list, and I bet if you talk to your neighbors or family members who are outside the church, they could add more things to that list that they'd say, the church is against this. And each time the church comes out against something, what we do is we heap shame and guilt on those who are engaged in those behaviors, and we create a bigger divide between them and us. We actually create a them and us when we stand against people who don't do life the way we want to do life. And the problem with that is we don't ever create the them and us or the list of things you can't do about the stuff we struggle with. We don't see a them or us on pride. We don't talk about gluttony. We don't talk about laziness. We don't talk a lot about gossip in the church or look at ourselves and go, oh, well, you know, God is against gossip or prayer requests that are shared with someone so you can go share it with four other people. That's gossip. What about narcissism? Lots of things the church could be against. But what if instead of being known for what we're against, we became a church that believed God was for the community. And because of that, we became a church that was known for what we're for. How would it change your relationship with Jesus? Or my relationship with Jesus? If we believed that he was for us, instead of against us. You see, I think all of Scripture paints a picture, the meta-narrative or the entire story of the Bible is a picture of the God who is for us. In Genesis 1, God creates man in his own image. He blesses man. He provides for him because God's for him, because God wants what's best. In Genesis 2, we see that God is watching Adam as he names all the animals in the garden. 
And he realizes that Adam is the only creature in the garden without a mate. And God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I know what's good and that's not good. I want Adam to know that I'm for him. And so he puts Adam to sleep and he creates a mate. He provides for what Adam needs. In Genesis 3, we rebel against God and the entire rest of the Old Testament is essentially God making a covenant with his people and saying, listen, I want to be in relationship with you. Here's what I need. Here's a covenant that I want to make with you. Here's a sacrificial system. Here's the law. Here's all the things you need to do. And what we see all throughout that Old Testament is the people of God rebelling against that, not holding up to their part of the covenant, not holding up to what God asked them to do. And so ultimately God sends Jesus. Jesus pays the ultimate price, dies on the cross, walks out of the tomb, rises again to make that relationship with us again because God is for us. And now we live in a relationship with Jesus that's not perfect, but it's a foreshadowing of what is to come and God promises that that will come in Revelation. Genesis to Revelation is the Bible is a book about God being for us. And so as we take a look at John chapter 10 today, I pray that you will see God is for you. And if you've known that, that's awesome. But if that's the first time you're hearing that, I want that to settle in. And I want that to become part of you. The idea that God is for you. He wants what's best for you. And I think we see that clearly in John chapter 10. So if you've got your phones or your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. You can open up the YouVersion Bible app on your phone if you want. You can scroll down to that events section, type in Great Oaks Community Church, and all of the sermon notes will pop up right there for you. And as we walk through this chapter this morning, I pray that through this study, we'll be reminded again and again that God is for us. So take a look at John chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Now this needs a little bit of explanation because we aren't quite as familiar with sheep farming as maybe the original audience is that Jesus is talking to. But every night, the shepherd would bring his sheep to a pen. And he would put them there. And if the shepherd was a wealthy shepherd or had a lot of sheep, he might be able to afford someone else to watch his sheep overnight. And there'd be multiple shepherds that would bring their, their flock of sheep to the sh same sheep pen. The sheep pen would look a little bit like what you see on the screen. Uh, it's got some rock walls around it. With Often they'd even pile branches on top of that with thorns to keep out animals or prey that would come in and try and hurt the sheep. But then each morning, when it was time, the shepherd would come back out and he would have a call, some kind of whistle or the sound of his voice that he would call to and the sheep would recognize him. 
And the other thing that's interesting here is that it says the shepherd would lead his sheep. Sheep don't do well being driven from the front. Sheep are much better when they're called or led from the front. And so in understanding that Jesus is for us, we understand that the good shepherd provides leadership. And for those sheep, that leadership was crucial. The leadership that the shepherd would provide, think about where we're talking about. We're not talking about middle of Illinois where there's grass and wheat and corn and soybean all around for the sheep to eat. No, we're talking about the Middle East, a desert that is hundreds of miles where food is scarce, where water is hard to find, where predators are everywhere. And often these towns would be built on a bluff and the, sheep would have to, the shepherd and the sheep would walk down these narrow paths that were dangerous and treacherous. It's the skilled leading of a loving shepherd that allows the sheep to find what they need. It's the sheep's ability to recognize his voice that gets the sheep to where they need to go. This forces us to ask the question, do we know and recognize the voice of the one who is leading us? Jesus clearly says there's going to be other voices. There's going to be other things that speak into our lives and I think that's so true in our world. There are tons of voices that are gonna tell you every day, you're not good enough, that are gonna tell me I'm all alone, that are gonna tell us we don't match up. We're too broken. We don't measure up. We failed too many times. We've let someone else down too much. Or maybe because you did this thing, you'll never amount to anything. Those voices that speak those negative words over us are not the voice of a shepherd. They're not the voice of the true shepherd, Jesus. Jesus looks at all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of our sin, all of our junk, and he says, follow me. He says, I love you. He says, you're forgiven. He says, you're free. There are some of us in the room this morning that need to hear that more than we ever imagined because we've been listening to the wrong voices for way too long. And because of that, we've begun to wonder if God really does or really could love us or really could be for us. The shepherd calls to his sheep. And he says, you are enough. And I love you. I want you to hear my voice and I want you to follow me. The shepherd says, God is for you. I don't care what you've done or said or thought. God is for you. And it's never too late to start listening to the voice of the good shepherd and to begin to follow. Jesus is calling. Will we listen? Will we believe that he's really for us and follow his leading? 
Jesus not only demonstrates that he's for us by the way he leads us, but the good shepherd demonstrates he's for us by offering life to each and every one of us. Take a look at John chapter 10, verse 7. So explain to them, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were, were thieves and robbers, but the true shepherd did not, the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These thieves and robbers don't care about the sheep. They only care about what they can gain from the sheep. Jesus is clearly speaking to the religious leaders of his day. If we look back through the, the book of Luke or John, we see this very clearly. He has plenty of arguments to make against them. In their hatred and desire to be rid of Jesus, they've harmed his sheep along the way. Think about John chapter 5. A man healed who was paralyzed, and they don't celebrate they critique because he was healed on the Sabbath, a day when no work was supposed to occur. So instead of celebrating that someone who was never able to walk could walk, these thieves and robbers are frustrated. Can you imagine what that would feel like if you were that man? The same thing happened just the chapter before in John chapter 9 when Jesus gives sight to a man who's never seen but he did it on the wrong day of the week. And again, these religious leaders are upset. They did it in John 8 when they set a trap to catch the woman caught in adultery. They didn't randomly just find her. They had baited her and trapped her and now they've brought her to kill her. They even did it in John chapter 7 when they attacked Nicodemus, one of their own, for raising questions about their motives and for what he sees in the life of Jesus. The truth is, these religious leaders aren't much different than the religious leaders all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 34, God says this as an indictment to the religious leaders. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who've wandered away and are lost. Instead, you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd and they're easy prey for any wild animal. Jesus says, this is not the way the shepherd responds. This is not what a shepherd should do. This is not painting a picture of a God who is for you. These leaders who were supposed to be representing God to his people have done the exact opposite. And so God responds with this in Ezekiel 34, verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemy. I will hold them responsible. I will take away their right to feed the flock. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will find my sheep and rescue them. I will bring them back home. I will feed them. I myself will tend my sheep. I will search for my lost ones and I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. 
God says, if the shepherds won't care for my sheep, then I will. Because I want what's best for my sheep. I want my sheep to have the most incredible life possible. And our Heavenly Father wants the exact same for you and for me. God being for us, bringing life, means that I am free from guilt. I'm free of the shame that I feel. I'm free of fear of what might happen if I confess my sin. If I come back and I say, God, I've messed up. I don't have to fear that response. I'm free of his judgment. Instead of looking at life as a follower of Christ, as a list of things we can't do, what if we began to look at the life that Jesus offers each and every one of us as a list of things we can do? I can fall deeply and passionately in love with my spouse. I can have wisdom I need to parent my kids, not perfectly, but I can trust that God is bigger than my mistakes and he loves them more than I do. I can live life free of anxiety as I learn to trust that God knows what's best and he's providing. And even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to, I'm not alone. Life that the good shepherd offers means that I have purpose. I have reason and meaning to be alive. It means I have the ability to let go of grudges, which let's be honest, those grudges that we're holding on to aren't hurting the person we're holding them against but they're eating us up inside. And life, the life that Jesus offers is a life full of forgiveness. A life that allows me to forgive those who have hurt me, but more importantly, reminds me that I'm forgiven by the God who loves me. I'll let you add to that list any other things you can think about, but church, we have sold ourselves short when we begin to live in a box of what we can't do instead of living in the freedom of what we can do as a follower of Jesus. Do you believe that the life Jesus has for you is the best life you could live? Jesus doesn't promise us freedom from hard things, but he promises to be a shepherd that will lead us through the midst of those hard things. I can't imagine what my life would look like apart from Jesus because some days it's a wreck with him in it. Yet he's still there. He's still leading. He's still loving. And he's still offering me a better way. Not only does our good shepherd lead us, provide life for us, but he loves us more than we can ever imagine. The shepherd loves sacrificially. Take a look at John 10, verses 11 through 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run away when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't care about the sheep. 
I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This passage is packed full of the unconditional love and sacrifice that Jesus has for us. There are lots of people out there, and you probably know some of them, who have been a part of your life when life was good. When everything was going great, they were always there. They were there celebrating with you. They were there cheering you on. But the minute life got hard, the minute life began to kind of crumble or fall apart a little bit, maybe you've looked around yourself and you go, wait, where did all those people go? Maybe when you lost a loved one. Maybe when you had a relationship that broke when life got messy. For the paralyzed man by the pool, it was Jesus who was there. For the woman about to be stoned for her sin of adultery, it was Jesus who was there. For the man born blind, it was Jesus. When we were trapped in sin and we could not get free of our own debt, we couldn't pay what we owed, it was Jesus who went to the cross to pay that debt. Jesus' love will never fail and there's nothing you have done or will do that will keep Jesus from loving you. And Jesus says, nobody demanded my life. Nobody took my life. I laid it down freely because I love you. Because I wanted more than anything else in the world to be in a relationship with you. And Jesus says, when you believe that, when you accept that truth, when you begin to follow me, you need to know this truth. In John chapter chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Listen to this promise. No one can snatch them away from me for my God has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand, and the Father and I are one. Jesus makes it clear. I love you. I loved you enough to die for you. I loved you enough to conquer sin for you. I loved you enough to conquer death for you. And I'm calling all the sheep who want to experience my love to come and experience Nothing will keep you from me. Jesus says, I'm looking, I'm searching. God is calling. Are we going to respond? Are we going to respond to the good shepherd's voice when we hear it? Will we allow the love of our Savior to wash over us and to fill us up? Church, do you believe Jesus loves you? 
Or are you still holding on to that guilt and shame because in some way you feel like if you just keep feeling guilty or keep experiencing the shame, maybe you'll pay for that sin you committed. Maybe then you'll deserve heaven. See, that guilt and shame is keeping each and every one of us away from experiencing the love that Jesus has. Maybe what you need to do today is simply stop. Stop trying to do one more thing. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Stop trying to earn his love. You need to take a breath. And you need to feel God's love wash over you. And then as we experience that love, we're called as his sheep to go and tell others about the love that we've experienced. Because church, Jesus is for you. Every one of you. And he's for me. My challenge this week is not for you to go and do anything. My challenge for you this week is to simply be to be in the presence of a Savior who loves you, to rest in the truth that Jesus is for you, to listen for his voice, to accept his life, and to allow his love to pour over you and to fill you up. Maybe the best thing that each and every one of us can do this week is that prayer that we talked about a couple weeks ago that some of you are working on memorizing or praying. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. It says this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding of who God is and how much he loves you. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The joy that being known by the good shepherd brings. The peace that his voice speaks into our lives. Paul continues, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Church, I pray that as we begin this next chapter, we are a church and we become a church that knows God is for us. That he's the one leading us. That he's the one giving us life. And that it's his love that pours all over us. And may that message that God is for us flow out into our community so that they know God is for them. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful that we worship and serve a God who is our good shepherd, who watches over his sheep, who leads us to the things that we need, who wants what's best for us. 
God, for those of us who for far too long haven't believed that, who believe that because of something in our past or something we've done that we're inadequate, that you could never truly love us. Maybe you love the person sitting next to me, but you could never truly love me. God, I pray that you remove those feelings, that the truth of your word would pour over them, and that, God, this week life would change. God, for those who are here this morning and who don't even know you, who are just hearing about the Good Shepherd for the first time, I pray that they would know that something would click in their brain and in their heart that says, God is for me. It's not against me. And they'd accept that love. God, as we rest in the truth of this passage that you are the Good Shepherd, I pray this week that we would rest in that truth. It would bring peace. It would bring calm. It would bring purpose to our life. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.